Music licensing is the gift that keeps on giving. It's one of the most sustainable areas of the music industry. It allows for a lifelong career. Without it, I would not have achieved creative freedom and financial security. I've licensed over 10,000 songs for films, TV shows, trailers, ads, video games, and more. I can help you do the same. I'm so excited for this podcast. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Today, we're going to talk about my journey to get here, to discuss how I went from a struggling artist trying to get a record deal to earning $30,000 in one quarter from a music license I did, which changed my whole life and my whole career path around. Are you ready to start licensing your music? Let's dive in. Welcome to the License Your Music Podcast, where I'm here to help give you all the tools you need to license your music for film, TV, ads, trailers, and more, so you can have passive income and obtain creative freedom. I'm your host, Jody Friedman. Thanks so much for spending some time with us today. If you haven't been by our site at licenseyourmusic.com, please come by. We've got a ton of free content there for you. I've been licensing music since 2005. Really excited to do this podcast and to have you here, and we'll be sharing a ton of knowledge with you. In future episodes, we're going to be having special guests, music supervisors, music coordinators, producers, songwriters, all sorts of exciting things lined up for License Your Music at the License Your Music podcast. I am a music supervisor. I am also a song plugger. Most music supervisors are not. We'll talk about that further into the episode, but I'm going to be able to give you both perspectives of both that of a music supervisor and that of someone who licenses music, both my own music that I produce, that I write, and other people's music who I represent for placements in film, TV, ads, and trailers. What I want to convey to you with this this story is that we're very much alike. A lot of times when you're looking in from the outside, you see people on this certain light that they have achieved all the success. I must be different from them. And that is so not true. We all start out the same. We all make choices in our life that gets us from point A to point B. We're going to go over my journey and the choices I made, the opportunities I was given, and how I seized those moments. And... Hopefully, you'll learn something from the story, and it'll get to know me a little more, so when you tune into future podcasts, you know who I am and where I come from. Licensing your music is not something that is unattainable. It is something that you can absolutely do. Um, It comes with its challenges, and like everything in life, you do have to practice, you have to learn, you have to study. Uh, And you have to understand it before you really dive in. I think a lot of people make the mistake of diving in without really having an understanding about the business and how it works. And that's why I created License Your Music, so I could share with you my knowledge about licensing music for all sorts of media. Without any further ado, let's dive right into uh, my story uh, and my, my, my beginnings. So, you know, like many of you, I... I grew up uh, loving music. My parents loved music. My mother had an affinity for pop music, and my father had an affinity for folk music and singer-songwriter. I grew up in Florida, in Clearwater, Florida, uh, really in a small town there actually called Safety Harbor, which is a very artsy town. I didn't realize it at, at the time growing up, but it's on the bay. It's on Tampa Bay, and there's always these art festivals going on, and it's a real um, artsy town, and I think it influenced a lot of uh, for me as an artist influenced me and who I am and looking back on it now and now I'm 40 years old and looking back now realizing what a big influence it had on me. I think it's important to take a moment and look back on 
where you came from, what created you, what made you the artist you are today, um, what really is at the core of that, that inner desire that so many musicians and songwriters have, that drive, that, that, that calling. I think it's um, George Bizet, the uh, famous composer, said music is a jealous mistress. It's constantly whispering in your ear, come create, come write something. <laughs> um, come be with me instead of your family. You know, there's this, this, um, you know, this struggle that I think a lot of us have. And so anyway, so that's a part of it. So my story, I, I began uh, playing guitar when I was 14. I, I was born in 1980. I grew up listening to all sorts of music and I was a, I was a child actor or, or, well, really a child model. I didn't do much acting more than being an extra, but uh, that kind of gave me uh, the confidence and you know the ability to get up on stage in front of anybody and just smile and joke and sing songs and whatever it might be. So when I was um, 14 years old, I picked up the guitar. My, my grandmother had a classical guitar that uh, she gave to me, and all my friends were, were starting to play guitar too, mostly to get girls. That was um, <laughs> the impetus for it all. Um, but you know, only a few of us really stuck with it, and I was one of them that it really... Uh, it really took to me the guitar as as an escape from the day-to-day struggles of being a teenager and also as something I really was um, passionate about. I really loved it. I just loved it. So I would, I never really had lessons at that, at that age. I just listened to songs and I would, um, I was listening to, you know, Counting Crows, Nirvana, uh, Bush, um, Indigo Girls, um, Sarah McLaughlin, Dave Matthews Band, um, was kind of an acoustic rock, grunge, um, some, maybe some metal. I definitely liked punk music. I listened to a lot of punk at the time. Um, but anyway, I would listen to the songs and specifically I found that Dave Matthews and Indigo Girls, they used some really, um, Dave especially used some interesting chordings with the way that he formulated his chords, he would play these beautiful sounding open acoustic chords. So I would listen to him and I would study it and try to get the sound replicated on the guitar. And with Indigo Girls, really, I was fascinated with um, the the playing style that Emily from the band had. There were two girls, Amy and Emily. And Emily, just her, her lead guitar, man, she played so well. So I would listen to the lead, the solos, and I would I would pause my CD player and then go figure out the notes and then play it back and then unpause and then do it again. And that was how I taught myself to um, to play guitar. And with Dave, it was very similar. Um, so that was what I spent the first year on guitar doing every day, literally coming home from school, holding up in my bedroom and spending time learning guitar with my Samick six string guitar, which I still have today. So uh, after that, you know, I started playing coffee shops and I learned how to sing um, not very well, I might add, uh, for the first, gosh, probably eight to 10 years of singing, I was just not doing it very well. But, uh, you know, I learned how to do it enough where I was able to audition to be a youth song leader for my Jewish youth group. I was part of a youth group called NIFTI, National Federation of Temple Youth. And they had this position called song leaders and you had to audition for it. And then you were, um, selected by the board and I was appointed uh, song leader for my region, the Southeast region of Temple Youth. So I would do these long um, weekend events where we would be leading services and also leading song sessions, just a bunch of kids singing a bunch of songs. Sometimes they were songs in Hebrew. Sometimes they were songs in English, like pop music. 
uh, that we just love to sing and dance to. So that was where I really cut my teeth on performing. And um, and believe me, this is all going to tie into my, my journey. Um, this is all part of my journey, which led to where I'm at today with licensing my music and other people's music. Um, so if you're still listening, hang in there. So um, anyway, I cut my teeth performing in, in my Temple Youth Group, and I just loved it. I loved it. So I went to college uh, when I was 17. I didn't have a senior year of high school. I left early, and my uh, freshman year of college was my senior year of high school. I got my high school credits and my high school diploma at the end of my freshman year of college. So while I was in college, uh, still gigged around, did open mics, did a couple bands. Um, nothing really, really took off, but I still you know, was able to scratch that itch. But I started writing a lot of songs in college and these songs were horrible. They were not very good. Um, a few of them have some pretty catchy riffs to them that I've evolved and gone back, gone back today, today, gone back to those songs and rewritten and revised them, which uh, is pretty interesting to do. And I recommend anybody who has written songs in the past go back to them now with a fresh set of ears and say, wow, what can I take from this song and re- redo about this? Because it's, you know, these, these ideas that you have when you're pure as a musician, you're not tainted by any business elements. You're, those ideas are pure. So it's important to go back and look at those and examine those. Um, so after college, well, let's, let's say I majored in college. I majored in TV production. I applied for FSU film school at Florida State University. It was number three in the nation at the time. I didn't make it into the film school. So I did what most people who didn't get into film school do. We, we majored in TV production. So I majored in TV production. I graduated 2001 in May, shortly after 9-11 happened, um, but I got a job at CNN. So I started at CNN Atlanta uh, in October of 2001, shortly, very shortly after 9-11. And uh, I was there for two years. Uh, while there, American Idol happened. And American Idol was, uh, you know, this, this event, as many of you know, on, on TV that really was the first event ever where the people voted these, these singers and performers to be uh, the winners. And 2002 was American Idol season one and Kelly Clarkson had won. So CNN, like the rest of the world, everyone was fired up around American Idol. And CNN decided to have an international talent search competition. I was working there doing an entry-level job, working the teleprompter, uh, stage managing, printing out scripts, organizing scripts for the anchors. And of course, while I'm doing teleprompter in, in the breaks, I'd be scribbling lyrics on the back of the, the rundowns, which was the, the way that the show was going to go during the day. So I really, you know, while I had a good job, um, my passion stayed true to writing songs. And they had this talent show. So I wrote a song about my job called The Prompter Song. Uh, and it was about, you know, working the teleprompter, then working audio, then working TD, then being a director. It was like climbing up the food chain to become a director. And uh, I played the song at the company talent show. You can still see the song on YouTube if you want. You can look up YouTube Jody Friedman, the prompter song. But uh, I played it at the company talent show uh, at the Tabernacle in Georgia, uh, and I won first place. It was amazing. I won first place uh, of, by playing that song in front of all the company executives. Uh, it won me a grand prize, which was a, a good um, amount of money. And it also, the next day at work, uh, it was kind of surreal. Everybody was congratulating me and 
uh, viewers were emailing in, who is this guy? And my, my producer friends would send me their emails. And uh, some of them were saying things like, wow, Warner Brothers better sign them quickly and all this stuff. So I was all, I was riding that, that high for a while there. But uh, it, what it did do is it got me a meeting with the president of CNN. He called me into his office that day. And I had previously applied for a job in New York. And he said to me, uh, you know, really loved what you did, basically, that that talent show was something else, really cool guy named Jim Walton. Um, And he said, how'd you, how'd you like to go to New York? Growing up in Florida, the big city to me was Atlanta. So the thought of going to New York was amazing. And I said, yes, please. I'd love to go to New York. And that got me to New York. So January 2004, Transferred to New York, and the money that I won from that talent show paid for my first month's rent, my last month's rent, and my security deposit. (laughs) As New York City can be very expensive. But it did get me to New York. So the song was guiding my journey the whole way through. The power of a good song. That's something I'll come back to in this podcast pretty regularly because I truly believe there's nothing more powerful in music than a great original song. So that song got me to New York City. It got me the job in New York. The next two years, 2004 to 2006, I was working at CNN uh, in Penn Plaza, moving over to Time Warner Center, doing rotation on shows like Anderson Cooper, Paula Zahn, Lou Dobbs, Showbiz Tonight, Nancy Grace, etc. And while working in, in New York, I was still gigging. I was going to play venues. I was the audio tech on Nancy Grace. I was on the way to a gig and the executive producer named Dean Sicoli, he stopped me in the hall and he said, hey, what, you know, what kind of music you listen to? We started talking music and just, uh, and he said, you know what? We need this theme song for the segment in the show, Nancy Grace. I said, oh, cool. I've been playing with GarageBand at home. I can go home and throw some loops together and I'll get you something. And I did. I went home that night, put together a bass, uh, a guitar loop, a siren, and I think some, some percussion. Uh, and that was really it. It was a four. There were four pieces involved, and edit did some light editing, light mixing on it. I brought it in the next day. I played it for Dean. He said, "This is great." And it was a while. It was about I don't know four or five months before they actually licensed it. I told Nancy about it. I was buds with Nancy Grace, and um, she really helped me. She helped me push it through, and would keep reminding Dean about it. And Elizabeth, another producer on the show. And they got it pushed through. It became a theme song during the show called the All Points Bulletin Theme. And it aired for two years on the show. In those three to four months between the time that I gave it to Dean and the time that it got licensed, I spent my breaks going to Borders Bookstore, which was inside Time Warner Center. And I was study and I would read about music publishing. And I learned all about licensing and publishing and this whole concept that until that point was foreign to me that you could make money from your songs. And it was mind-blowing. So during my breaks, I would go read about publishing, and then I would sit down and open up the books for all the music publishers, and I'd start mailing out my demos. I had recorded a um, a nine-song album uh, when I was in New York. So I had this nine-song album from 2005, and I just started mailing it around to all the publishers in the meantime. So I learned uh, quickly about that, about publishing, and fell in love with that idea. And then 2006, we decided to leave New York. We had a dog and we lived in an apartment and it was just too small and crammed. So we got tired of it and said, let's go out West. And actually we were deciding between 
Austin, Texas, Asheville, North Carolina, and uh, LA or Long Beach, California, which is where my father was, my grandfather, and my uncle. So we ended up coming out west to be near family. And this was 2006. Quit our jobs, came out west. On the way out from New York to California, traveling across the country with my wife, my dog, and our belongings, I received a $30,000 check from ASCAP. $15,000 for my writer's share, $15,000 for my publisher's share. Why was it so big? It was so big because it was a theme song and because it got surveyed and they went back retroactively for however many episodes it aired for and paid out for each and every episode. I got very lucky, very lucky. That was the beginning of my journey in publishing. So 2006, I arrive in Los Angeles. I decided I'm gonna use this $30,000 just to start focusing on music full-time. And I'm gonna focus on licensing because it was something that I had done and I had seen the fruits of my labors. And there were shows like The O.C. and Grey's Anatomy, which were breaking bands, which I loved. I loved both of those shows. And Weeds, Weeds came around and it also had these this cool theme song, uh, Little Boxes, which Gary Calamar music supervised. And they'd use a different band's version of that song every week. Uh, so I actually recorded a song, a cover of Little Boxes. Uh, I sent it in to Gary, he was responsive. Um, you know, I saw this avenue start to reveal itself for a career in music licensing. Shortly after arriving, I attended a networking event uh, called the Taxi Road Rally. And my intention when going to this event was to find an internship in music, ideally music licensing. I did one of these meet and greets where you sit down and meet with industry A&R folks or executives, and they spend about five minutes with you. And I got to sit with this guy named Danny, and I said, Danny, I'd love to be your intern. Do you need some help? And Danny was nice enough to allow me to do that. Danny's background was in, he worked for Atlantic Records in the 1980s, uh, doing a lot of PR and management. And he was managing a band in the LA area called Three Bad Jacks. So over the next five, six months, I assisted Danny with that, uh, managing the band. We went to the band's house. We you know, put some merch pieces together. Uh, we did some marketing. I learned a lot about management and PR from Danny. And um, I said to Danny, you know, we should really think about signing bands and pitching them for licensing. So six months in, we decided to form a partnership um, using Danny's knowledge of management and PR, my knowledge of licensing. And we formed a company and we started signing artists and started pitching them. Uh, so I would call music supervisors, cold call them, just get them on the phone the old fashioned way. Say, hey, my name's Jody. Uh, you know, I'm calling from Songs with Vision. That was the name of our company. And uh, we have some artists we'd love to submit to you for your show. And some of them were responsive, others were not. The ones that were responsive, I would go meet with. I would have lunch, I'd bring them coffee. And then after about a year or so doing that, I started my company, HD Music Now, and I started signing more talent and still meeting with music supervisors. There was one supervisor in particular who was very good to me, Gary Calamar, and I, I hope to have him on the show here as one of our guests because throughout the, the podcast, you'll, you'll see we're going to be interviewing a ton of guests um, in the world of music licensing and the surrounding worlds that influence music licensing. There's, there's so much to it, and I can't wait to share it with you guys and have these guests on here because you're going to learn so much on this podcast, and I'm super excited about it. If you're still listening, thanks for listening, and um, I'll continue with the story. So a bit of a side detour here because we're in 2008, and it was around this time that a friend of mine from college named Luke Kasdan, he called me up. He was directing a film. He lived in L.A., and he said, Jody, I think you look like Ryan Adams. I'd love for you to come down and 
uh, play the part of Ryan Adams in my film. The film was called Don't Fade Away, starring Misha Barton and Ryan Quanton, who also was on True Blood, uh, coincidentally, at the time. And uh, so I went down, and uh, I remember meeting Ryan and hanging out in, this, in the green room and getting on stage with my guitar and, and Luke directing me on stage to perform like I was Ryan Adams. And um, then afterwards, I, I sat down with Luke and said, hey, dude, do you have a music supervisor on this film? And he said, no, I don't. So well, I've been doing licensing and I, I have a good understanding of how it works. I think I can help you. And he said, sure, come on in. Uh, let's do it. So I learned by uh, baptism by fire, I call it. It's learning by doing. So I was thrown into the fire. I was given... Um, there were, I want to say there were eight songs. I can I can never remember if it was a $40,000 budget or a $25,000 budget. I probably should look back. But regardless, it was a small budget. There were eight songs, Alexi Murdoch, Ryan Adams, Town, Whiskey Town. There was even an Adam Durrett song and um, several others. And we had to go clear them. So, and then find replacements for those songs as well. So my point being, my music supervision journey started around that time too, um, because the next two jobs came shortly thereafter from the same crew that I met in post-production on Don't Fade Away. My music supervision journey has grown in parallel in tandem with my music licensing journey. Most music licensing folks, most song pluggers, indie reps, libraries, they're not music supervisors too. That's very unique to me. Uh, There's a few music supervisors that also pitch, but I think it's important to understand that when I have guests on the show that are music supervisors, they're not song pluggers. They're just music supervisors. And we'll explain more about what that means further into into the episodes here. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about my credits here because you can easily look me up on IMDb, uh, IMDb for Internet Movie Database, imdb.com, and you can look up my name and find my list of credits there. But basically, I started supervising around that time and then more and more got on more and more projects throughout the next decade. It was in 2015 that I, I linked up with uh, Tremolo Productions and Morgan Neville, who was an Oscar-winning director, and got to do the project, The Music of Strangers, Yo-Yo Ma and the Silk Road Ensemble for him, which was on HBO. And it was myself and Jennifer Lanchart, my music supervision partner, and my co-producer at Collaborate Music Productions, one of my companies, where we produce reimagined covers and remixed originals for trailers, so Jen and I music supervised that film for Morgan. We also worked on uh, some other projects for him, including Won't You Be My Neighbor in 2017, which is a, um, a Mr. Rogers documentary, a really lovely documentary. And I've been lucky enough to get to help out with projects that Maggie Phillips, this amazing music supervisor, I'm in, in, in good company with. And we've been helping her with music clearance and music coordinating on some projects. And I've also been able to music supervise along the way for Netflix, for Ugly Delicious, and They'll Love Me When I'm Dead. And I got brought in on an animation project called Ingress the Animation on Netflix for anyone who likes anime. I highly recommend it. Again, that was the same crew from Don't Fade Away almost 10 years earlier that I ended up working with on that Ingress project in 2018. So uh, a lot of fun projects along the way that I've got to music supervise. I'm very lucky that I got to do that. We're not going to talk much more about that. I want to shift back to music licensing because for most of you listening, listening, you're going to be focused on licensing your music. And it's good to understand that music supervisors are the people who you're pitching to who are going to license music from you for projects. And part of why I wanted to put this course together is to give you my perspective both as a music supervisor who you're pitching to and as someone who licenses music to music supervisors. So I'm able to provide you with both perspectives. And I think that's going to be a really unique thing here. 
If you're still listening, thanks for listening, and um, I'll continue with the story. So our first decent placement, True Blood Season 2, uh, a, a song called Summer Memories by John Massey, a composer that I met through Taxi. And from there, it started to spiral. I started getting more and more placements over the next year. Uh, actually, my income from 2008 to 2009, it doubled. In 2009 to 2010, it doubled again. 2010, 2011, it doubled again. And I kept seeing this astronomical growth from licensing and regularly licensing my music. Actually, I should correct myself there. It wasn't my music I was licensing. It was other people's music. That's when things started to happen for me. It wasn't until 2013 that I licensed one of my own songs for an episode of Ray Donovan. And it was a song that I created for Sync. I was rapping on it. (laughs) And um, it got licensed for the show by Thomas Golubit and another guest I hope to have on the show one day. So um, that was my journey. That was how it started for me and how it started to happen. Uh, so here I am. It's now the end of 2020 when I'm making this episode. Um, you're probably listening in 2021. And, you know, I've been in publishing and licensing since 2004, back when I started my publishing company when I was at CNN in New York. I've learned so much. I've licensed over 10,000 songs from hundreds of songwriters, producers, and artists to films, TV shows, trailers, ads, video games, podcasts, all sorts of media. And I'm very lucky. I love what I do. I'm good at what I do. And I'm lucky to be in a place where I can share that knowledge with you, which is why I started License Your Music. LicenseYourMusic.com is our website. If you haven't gone over there, I encourage you to check it out. Uh, We have some free materials over there you can get grabbed to help you learn about how to get heard in music licensing, how to cut through all the noise, because it's become a very crowded place. And my clients, they come to me still because they've known me for a long time. It is a relationship business. That doesn't mean there's not a way in. You can definitely start forming relationships now because this business is going to keep evolving and the relationships you make today, they're going to be the ones that pay off for you in two years, four years, five years, 10 years. I'm always thinking ahead and I encourage you to do the same. Don't look at tomorrow. Look two years ahead. Look three years ahead. Imagine where you want to be. This is what I always did. And it's allowed me to get to where I am today, where I'm licensing my music regularly Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And I just want to ask you to ask yourself some questions. And we're going to take a little turn here. I'm going to get a little heavy. What types of pain do you deal with that keep you from achieving your goals? The struggle is real. We all deal with them. If you answer self-doubt or an inability to compete or finding time or worrying about how you're going to get heard and break through, please tune in to future podcasts. We're going to be discussing all of these things that we all deal with. I struggle with it still today. My colleagues struggle with it. The biggest superstars on the planet struggle with it. We're all in this together. It's a journey. We're going to work through those things, and we're going to learn a ton about licensing music. I'm Jody Friedman, your host for the License Your Music podcast. Please come by the website at licenseyourmusic.com to grab your free ebook on how to get your music heard by music supervisors. Join our Facebook group at License Your Music with Jody Friedman, Instagram at License Your Music, and of course our YouTube channel where you'll find all sorts of valuable tips about music licensing, among other things. All right, stay cool. I'll see you in the next podcast.